Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krauss. This week, instead of doing the usual thing where we talk about pop culture topics, we talk about the color of Beyonce's hair this week, what Justin Bieber's been up to, who Drake hates, I don't know. Whatever it is that we usually talk about, we're not doing that this week. My guest in studio is Sukyin Lee. You know her as an activist, as a filmmaker, as a musician, a former VJ, radio host, broadcaster. There's so many, you're a hyphenate. You've got a lot of hyphens uh, after your name. Uh, in this case, we're here to talk about a film that she's just released called Octavio is Dead. And you know what I love about the title of this? Uh, there's an exclamation mark at the end of it. I love that too. Exclamation mark titles. Octavio is dead! Exactly. Exactly. I love it. I love it. So it's congratulations on having the boldness to put the, <laughs> the exclamation mark Mr. on the Tambourine end of it. Mr. Tambourine Man! <laughs> Mr. Tambourine Man! <laughs> Sorry, I've just peaked your ears. It's, no. It's... I didn't I, listen, mean to deafen you. Listen, I love it. I love it all. And uh, we're going to give you all the details as to where you can see the film and that thing. It's playing across the country. Check your local listings. We'll let you know all the details. I'm going to kind of set the stage a little bit here, though, first. Um, you were born in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, what do you remember about growing up out there? What are your memories of that? Uh <clears throat> well, I came from a very, 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 very strict traditional Chinese-Canadian family. Uh, I pretty much ran away when I was 15 and uh, lived on my own. And I was... Ran away from the rules? Uh, ran away from a, a family that kind of imploded. My parents right. in the middle of a very messy divorce and there was a lot of uh, chaos in the family. I just sort of... I, I left with my father actually in the very beginning and then quickly um, left him yeah, and was out on my own. Um, uh, it was uh, a very huge difference because I, you know, went from being extreme, lots of rules, very strict. I wasn't allowed to hang out at the mall like right. my friends. So right. I watched a lot of television and <laughs> hung out in the rec room. Um, but in that moment when my parents uh, split and there was chaos in the family and I sort of like escaped in that moment of opportunity um, because I was also really curious about the world <clears throat> and my suburb was very kind of very dull mm -hmm. and so I was really itching to get out there so it sort of coincided with the with an opportunity to to leave and nobody everybody was consumed with their own uh, difficulty so it was like oh okay we're well, that's she's fine um, but I ended up falling in with um, some wonderful artists so I, you know, down the hallway in a rooming house that I lived in was a musician. Uh, I had my first art show while I was still in high school <laughs> and, you know, trumped around the streets of Vancouver with a, a big portfolio with miscellaneous paintings of finger paintings of exploding heads, you know, things that you would paint as a, as a child. That's right, yeah, yeah. And I found out that there was like this uh, play going on that was dealing with teens and teen difficulty, and I said, hey, can I have an art show in your lobby? And they're like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and so the curator was a musician, and I became very good friends with her. She was an independent musician, and she just introduced me to a world of uh, Vancouver at that time. Growing up was just so key in my development. It was like dancers, poets, mm -hmm. punks artists that we all hung out together. So as I was going to high school and becoming friends with this other community and plus the musician who lived down the hallway was part of that as well, I became slowly tugged away from the high school I was in to this other other very wonderful world. And it was through this sort of group of artists that we would hang out at this place called The Ranch and it was like many different 
many different disciplines of, of people people there, and it would be like, okay, let's m- make music. But as opposed to you know at a party back in the day, somebody right. might might grab a guitar and you know play their favorite song, you know. <laughs> but it wasn't like that. It was like grab whatever you want that that pole over there, hit it, and we'll just make improvisational music right. in the moment. So it was very very free, uh, express uh, very very free expression. Uh, and I think those people, you know, I I, I ended up living. Uh, in many different places, and then also a very influential place for me was growing up in a neighborhood where all of my it was called uh, Dyke Row, we, uh, uh, Hawk, aka Hawks Avenue in Strathcona in Chinatown, and it was just a number of women and uh, impoverished artists and immigrants really coming together in a very profound and strong community. We all looked after each other. We looked after each other's kids. We didn't have very money, much money. Uh, beside me, Brian Youngen, who's now like a revered Canadian art star, uh, he was my my um, next door neighbor. You know, a really dynamic group of people, and that is where I lived. And those were those were my support groups. Um, and yeah, was able to when I did my very first film for the National Film Board. All of my girlfriends helped me. Uh, made a huge. 10-foot egg noodle costume, uh, <laughs> acted in it. I was like, yay, I got, yeah. I won this contest. This is great. And then I was like, oh, dear, I have 50 character roles to cram into this 10-minute <laughs> short. What am I going to do? So the neighborhood was galvanized. Right. All of my girlfriends were in there, me. You know, so it was like, uh, yeah, it was very, it was a very vital and vibrant community. And I think just that synergy of the, the uh, domestic distress of which I escaped from, yep. coupled with a great deal of support from an extended family of artists, uh, really galvanized my sense of expression. I think I grew up in a very small place that uh, did not allow for a lot of exposure to to arts or anything. I wanted to be a writer, but I'd never met one. I, there was, just wasn't anyone to meet. There wasn't anyone to look up to. But in some ways, I think that that uh, strengthened my resolve to do it instead of it being a situation where I felt trapped in a place where there was no hope for me to ever do that. Um, it, it, it forced me to get out in the world and take some chances. Is that, would you see those as analogous? Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, to know that, I mean, it's so, I I think it's really important to know those worlds that aren't boho, that are completely working class, um, that are, uh, I can change a tire. Yeah, exactly. You know, that kind of thing, right? And, yeah. And, yeah, and like yeah. headbang, roving gangs of headbangers, you know, <laughs> taking over parks. Yeah. Uh, I, I lived where in the back of my yard, you know, was an incredible rainforest. Right. And so there was a sort of, um, in, in, in my time, it was sort of a middle class, lower middle class uh, North Vancouver community who put erected these sort of white picket fence to really contain their lawns and so forth. But behind all of our you know, Holmes was this incredible rainforest that right. was unbridled and, and, and uh, you know, incredible force of nature. And, and that's a place where, you know, it was very normal fare for me to, like, go to schools, uh, elementary school, and, oh, Janice's mom just hopped over the side and killed herself. You know, yeah. I know many people who jumped over the, suspe- the Link Canyon suspension bridge. So there is, like, an underbelly of intensity, mm-hmm. of, like, difficulty that uh, I think I so appreciate right now. I think most of what I was escaping from was um, more of the... In my family, it was very, very strict. You know, we had to 
there, there were very, very many rules. It was almost beyond. I used to think, oh, this is just Chinese. Right. You know, this is just, just strict Chinese stuff. But it was like my, my cousins would be coming over and they're like, no, that is just that's kind of w wacky. So there's a lot of stuff that was difficult within the walls of my home. That was a thing that I, I felt like I had to leave. But I also feel incredibly grateful for that because I understand what what um, that difficulty is in a profound way. And I think art is uh, a wrestle with life. And, and you know, I, I, I think that informs everything that I do. I'm speaking with Sukian Lee. Her new film is called uh, Octavio, Octavio is Dead. With an exclamation. It's Octavio. 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 Octavio is that's dead. The, that's with the accent. Yes. With, but with an exclamation point. With an exclamation point. Keep the exclamation point in there. I love it. That's the thing that it sounds silly because I always think of Elmore Leonard who said, don't use an exclamation point in any more than 100,000 words at a time. So you can use it in the first 100,000 words of your book, but not in the second or and in the second, but not in both. But now and, we're online and where it's like all caps and all exclamation points and yeah. a smiley face Things are and different. a tear face. <laughs> So when I first became aware of you, Bob's your uncle was was how I found out about you. Uh, tell me a little bit about the, the, the Genesis, because I heard about you as this voice from Vancouver who then moved to Toronto. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, you're you're aware of an entire legacy of which, you know, right now our memories are very, 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 we forget about yeah. stuff. But a lot of people think of me as a much music VJ or right. a CBC personality. Uh, you know me as my primary form, and that was a musician. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of what I was talking to you about earlier about leaving home and finding myself in a community, you know, singing was, singing is uh, one of the things that really comes from my core. To make a sound emanates from your yeah. body, and it's kind of like, what the heck, what, what? <laughs> Uh, so, you know, as a young one, I loved to sing and, um, and, and, and I was very shy. I was, um, <clears throat> unable to socially engage. And so when I was with the artists who really uh, encouraged me to express myself through various forms, music was one of them. And I love, I always loved singing as a kid. I would sing in the shower, but then, then there was that thing of being able to find like-minded people and start a band. You know, at the beginning, I... It was completely tone deaf, and to my credit, I didn't. I, my ear was so unattuned that I couldn't hear that I was flat. But my bandmate James Younger was like, "That is really flat, and you cannot <laughs> sing like that." And so he really showed me the difference between you know singing on key, sharp, and flat. But regardless, it was uh, one of those things where I could take to the stage and express things. And uh, in my ex extended family of my band, Bob's Your Uncle, it was kind of like a a, a ragtag group of people from broken homes, artists, and we just would make stuff. We made comics. We painted backdrops. Because I remember it as being half performance art almost. Yeah, it was definitely yeah. an art band. And, you know, I, there, I would incarnate songs where I would come out dressed as a building yeah. and then come out of the building and I'm a secretary. There's many photos of me, you know, looking like an alien because I've paper mache and a head extension <laughs> with a, a cyclops eye. You know, so this was like, these are exciting times of very energetic performances. And we're going to wrap it up there. We'll come back with Sukin Lee. We're going to talk about Octavio is dead, exclamation mark, uh, and, and lots of other stuff too. I want to talk about uh, your time in the building next door to where we're sitting right now as a Much Music VJ. I want to talk about that. I want to just get people a, a real sense of who Sukin Lee is. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. 
Sukyin Lee is here. We've just talking about Bob's your uncle, mm-hmm. your band, wherein you wore a paper mache head, alien cyclops. head, a cyclops, <laughs> and all sorts of things. I mean, I remember those days as being super exciting. Yeah, I mean, you know, there was a, there was a, there was here at least in Toronto, and I know across the country. Uh, there were young people trying different things, and I'm not really sure, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not really sure that the eye was on becoming hugely famous. The eye was on expressing yourself more than anything, and I think that's what made it super fun. It was individual expression. You know, we would hear about other bands coming from, like, Salem, Massachusetts, yeah. and, and you know, hitting town, and the place would be full because people don't want to see who's traveling, what do they got. Yeah. You know, it, you would be a, in a band, and you'd never do a cover. You'd always yeah, yeah. just make your own stuff, and, and what was rewarded was... Uh, individual expression, and that was with all the disciplines. It was ex- very, very exciting. But even within that community, you could see the superstars. You could see the people that you're like, holy, wow, yeah. they were great. And so that's all we really cared about. We didn't care about the larger world. It right. was kind of like what was going on in our in our space. Octavio is here is the new film. We'll get to that in just a second. There's a couple of more points I want to hit, and then we've got, we've got loads of show to go. Okay. So we'll, we'll get to all of that. So Bob's Your Uncle is is making noise downtown, and not musical noise, but making noise. People are talking about it, and he become a VJ at Much Music. And at that point, that was probably the hippest job in Canada. Yeah. I, it must have been. It was very, I mean, <clears throat> I had, I, I just received a, a disembodied uh, phone call from Moses Neimer, who was a very big uh, media impresario of yep. Toronto, and he had seen um, some of my work. I at that you know when I left home, I started to just answer a lot of contests as a kid. Won a playwright contest, won a contest through the National Film Board. I never went to school, but I learned to be a filmmaker through that first contest that I won through mm-hmm. Studio D, the Women's Film Department. Uh, and and he had seen my short, The Escapades of the One Particular Mr. Noodle, and he had seen some of my music videos, and uh, a, a Vancouver producer came to Toronto to pitch a TV show. Moses didn't go for a show, but he was like, who is, it? Who is this person here? And that was me. So he called me up and he said, you know, I saw your stuff. I'm looking for a VJ. I was not really, you know, Vancouver doesn't really care what Toronto's doing. Yep. So I was just like, and I didn't have a television at the time. I was like, but I, all I had heard was this guy challenging me. He's like, I'm going to send a camera operator to yeah. your house for do whatever you want for 10 minutes. Cool. I was like, yeah, bring it on. And so, you know, he challenged me to this. And, and so sure enough, the camera operator shows up at my door. I had just finished squatting and on a remote island in, in off of the off of Vancouver one of the Gulf Islands with my girlfriends that summer and we were like shooting guns off and wearing wigs and running around <laughs> bikinis this sort of wigs and guns uh, scenario and so i had all these wigs and squirt guns and stuff uh, we were actually shooting actual Winchester ri- hip rifles. Really? I, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was because it was like There's nobody. nothing to hit. So, yeah. I mean, there was a cougar, you know, loose in, in on this island and a mother raising her child by herself. So she needed something really loud to, right. to scare the cougar away. Of course, we took her Winchester rifle and like <laughs> shot it off. Anyway, I digress. So regardless, I had the more safer squirt guns mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then. Put together this series of characters, talked about music, sent it off, didn't think twice about it. And then a day later, it was Moses going, well, kid, do you want a job? I'm like, hmm. And at that point, you know, I had done the band for a while and we had started. I love Bob's Drunkle very much. 
um, it was very crucial to my development. But then we were we were replicating particular melodies and styles. Right. It started the, to feel in, old. Yeah, for you. kind of yeah. like repetitious. And I really did want to leave my hometown. It's important to be able to leave that which you know. And so there was this plum opportunity. Moses offered me a job. I didn't really know what I was, you know, walking into. And then, holy smokes, I remember, you know, walking into the Much Music building and it was the opposite of my very kind of acoustic existence mm-hmm. in Vancouver. And it was uh, just TVs going, cameras going, a completely ADD environment, a lot of cathode rays in no there. No second chances. No second yeah. chances, live TV. And he just loved the idea of throwing people on the tube. And his idea was rip apart the fourth wall. If you sink, you will sink and you will sink live on TV and people will watch because it's compelling. And as you grow, they will love you because they will see you develop. And he gave all of us just free reign. Like I I did, I had so many hours to fill during Mm -hmm. that job where I would just do, you know, I come from an art practice. So I really, and I was a TV addict. So I was like, as a kid. Uh, but, you know, I wanted to go in there and see what can I do in the mainstream format? What can I communicate that is curious? I've always relished being sort of a bit of an outsider artist, but then being able to, on, in the mainstream media, be able to perhaps introduce some of these things. So as you know, City TV, it was all electrified. There's cameras on every corner. So things that I would do is like, okay, let's set up the camera across the street. I'm going to lay flat on the ground on Queen Street. Just keep rolling and let's see what happens if I look like I'm dead. And so they would, you know, across the street show show me. I just look like a dead corpse on the sidewalk. What happens? Well, Torontonians would walk over (laughs) me or just like slow camera. Can I have a slow camera into my armpit, please? Or, you know, people still to this day their memories i can't believe it's been so long but they're like oh i remember the day you showed us how to relieve trap gas by putting your (laughs) bum in the air i'm like what was i doing i i did a lot of ridiculous things and also strange experiments well i love all that and and i do think that it's really remarkable now when you look back at the the first and second wave of bjs that came through there and how they are all beloved today still people remember those days it was really formative television in a way that a lot of stuff isn't. I mean, I watched much music as much as anybody, but I also watched other things too. But I remember the stuff that happened on much music. I think it was because it was very live and free and, you know, there would be really unusual, weird things happening. There yeah. there'd be, you know, sometimes the whole building would be f- surrounded by screaming fans who mm-hmm. are inc- incredibly full of lusty teen <laughs> t- teen energy yeah. and hormones. And, and the, you know, they would, the, cr- a powerful physical force. I remember my I left after the Backstreet Boys were there and my bicycle, my mountain bike was crushed by the young girls who were standing on it. You know, and then there's the musical aspect too. I mean, in my time, it was like the 90s. So it was like the year punk broke, you know, it was alternative music was coming to the mainstream where Sonic Youth could be on right. ma- regular rotation. And that was profound to see, you know, I think people who, each VJ was iconic in their own way. And I think my, my people were the marginalized outsider teens of which there are many. We'll come back with Sookie and Lee. We're going to talk about Octavia Was Dead, the new film starring uh, Sarah Gadden, uh, when we come back. And I want to talk about your final moments as a VJ. Then we'll talk about the film, I promise. <laughs> Stay with us. 
Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. In studio, we have Octavio is dead, exclamation mark, uh, director and writer, Suk Yin Lee. Uh, we were talking about you being a much music VJ, and you did that uh, for some time. You had the wedge. You introduced people to interesting music. You treated it as you treated the much music environment as sort of an art, uh, a place where art could happen on television. Uh, you still say you have people coming up to you and telling you they remember things you did there. Uh, that's a cool legacy. I remember your last moments as a VJ. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what was running through your mind as you decided to moon the camera? Well, um, the first day that I had the job at Much Music, I knew why I wanted to, it to be significant. So I rollerbladed in a fast food polyester uniform <laughs> with a tray stack full of uh, videotapes. Right. So I knew it was sort of, it was, uh, you know, pop culture, junk food world, and I wanted to embrace that. Right. The last day, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. How do I give the salute in the same spirit of which I have undertaken this entire adventure? And I was, well, you know, what do you do? You, you show your ass. You, yeah, you hang a moon. You hang a moon. <laughs> and it, I had it in my head. They didn't know. And I was like, okay, I'm, I, do I do this? I get it. And then at the last minute, I ran over to Rick the Temp. This, you know, yep. the sm- most yep. wholesome guy. <laughs> and I'm like, Rick, you want to moon the camera with me? And he, God bless him. He's just so good to go. He's, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went up there and I, you know, said my final goodbye. And, and you, you, that's how you say it. You say yeah. goodbye and it's a, in the most good loving and loving uh, hello goodbye way. It's yep. like, here's my ass. <laughs> Kiss it. <laughs> um, and then what I didn't realize, though, was just how much... I, I thought it was just showing my ass, right. but my friends were <laughs> laughing because there was a lot more than ass there. I'm wow. telling you, people. Wow. And, you know, and and that was the place to do it because everyone was like, hip, yep. hip, hooray. Yeah, there <laughs> and was, there was Rick's bum, too. Yeah. And there, there, there's no, it wasn't the kind of place where I imagine there was a meeting about that afterwards. No meeting. Yeah. No meeting. <laughs> just so like, see you later. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for all the good times. Oh, my God. Um, so let's talk about Octavio is Dead. Uh, it is your first film in some time, mm-hmm. your first film in a decade. Yeah. Uh, why this one and why now? Yeah, well, I mean, I've been working on it for the better part of, like, the last six years, writing it and, and you know, putting it together. But it, it is challenging. I mean, films, I wish I could have made more, mm-hmm. but films require a lot of time and a lot of money to make so that takes... and you it, you have full-time gigs as well i mean you're I between because uh, so when did definitely not the opera stop was uh, that in that the that was last... like two years ago yeah so yeah so you were doing that now you've got a, your your podcast for cbc uh so i mean you're working as well it's yeah, not I'm, like I'm, you're... yeah I, i'm working triple shifts so when you got the art it's just sort yeah. of like you you can't you don't have the option it's just like it sort of possesses you so this was a story, it was inspired by a real-life encounter with a ghost that I had in um, Barcelona some years ago. It, um, my friend's uh, father passed away. She was estranged from him. He left when she was very, very young. He passed away. I went to England and um, encountered her on the street. She was like a motorcycle mama. She went from <laughs> being a ba- bank teller in Vancouver, moving back home to London, and becoming a motorcycle mama. And so she was there on her hog, and she was like, I know you're going to Barcelona. Here's the keys to my dead dad's attico in Barcelona if you want to stay there. I'm like, yeah. 
So I went to Barcelona. Um, she, she, no one had been there since he had passed away, and so I was the first person in there. You know, his body had been removed, but literally in the heat of the Barcelona summer, it was like walking into a tomb of, mm-hmm. of heat, and and there was the remnants of his body still there. I mean, not his body, but like his socks that he took off right beside his slippers, right. rolled right, right. up. And um, and so literally untouched. I mean, literally untouched. Just, and yeah. and I'm a person that um, you know, being Chinese, and being raised to be uh, cognizant of the uh, you know the non corporeal beings around us and our ancestors and so forth. This is very you know an, a kind of ghosts or ghosts are acknowledged mm-hmm. in presence, and I could really feel his uh, presence in in the attico. And at first, you know, I was it was almost like, um, is it? Little Red Riding Hood or Goldilocks. It was go- like Goldilocks. I was like, I felt like oh, I have to tell tell his name is Ferrate, John Ferrate. Uh, you know, I'm here. I'm uh, Amalia's friend, yeah, yeah. and you know, I think at first I could feel a sense of like he was like, what? Who are you? Yeah, and what are you doing? What are you here? doing in my yeah. place? And so yeah, there's yeah. a lot of weird poltergeist experiences, and it was quite terrifying. He was none too happy. He was not happy to have me there. Right. But then I think after a while he realized that I was okay and. We became endeared. We be- it was kind of like the odd couple, very strange <laughs> combo of me and the ghost dad living together in Barcelona. Um, and uh, so that incredible encounter, which was both exhilarating and terrifying and wonderful, um, went to seed and inspire Octavio is dead. Instead of wanting to, you know, to tell my story, I, I thought it was more direct to have um, it, 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 the story of the daughter who had been abandoned, who had been estranged from her father, uh, encountering his ghost. I'm speaking with Sukian Lee. The movie is called Octavio is Dead, and the daughter is played by Sarah Gadden. Mm-hmm. And Sarah is remarkable. Mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, there's a couple of things about her as a photographer you would have noticed that it's impossible to take a bad picture of her. And and that face expresses so much without doing a lot. You never see the performance with her. And that's, I, I've noticed it in other films of hers, and I see Very Bressanian. Yeah. She has a very neutral face and yeah. a very uh, gorgeous face. And I think um, that enables people, to the audience, to project a lot of their own stuff on that. Yeah, and... and, and in this film, in Octavio is Dead, you often have moments where there's no dialogue. There'll, there'll be long sequences when there's no dialogue, and yet you feel connected with the character and what's going on, I think, because of her performance. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, unlike television or theater where verbiage is, there's a lot mm-hmm. of words, because fill in the silences. Yeah, yeah. Don't, God forbid, there's dead silence. They might change the channel. Yike! Um <laughs> In movies, it's almost—it's often like if you could advance a story without dialogue, that's that's good storytelling. Yeah. So it's a combination of watching the compelling aspect of the character and and ensuring there is action that takes place. Yeah. And action is not necessarily always described verbally. Uh, there's not always a monologue to go with that. So um, yeah, there are stretches. It's very unusual. I hadn't even really noticed it myself until afterwards. My friends were like, "Do you know that there's an eight-minute stretch with no talking?" <laughs> Which is highly unusual. Well, my favorite moments in films are moments that that have no dialogue that tell us everything we need to know exactly. about what's happening in the scene or what's happening to the characters. I think of of uh, Lost in Translation when uh, Scarlett Johansson is wearing the little pink wig and she puts her head on Bill uh, Murray's shoulder and it's completely platonic and it tells you everything you need to know about the night that they've just had, 
uh, the moment that they're in and the night that they're going to have. It's not sexual at that point. It's platonic. They are close friends. And it's a beautifully realized moment that probably would take most writers five pages to describe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. And and Octavio I'm glad that, ha- that that eight-minute stretch didn't give you a discomfort. No, no. Listen, it, you know, movies are show me, don't tell me. And when you are invested in a character, uh, you want to see what the, the character is up to and what they're doing and, and, and how they behave in whatever uh, situation they're in. And I'll be honest with you, I don't remember the silence being eight minutes long. I don't remember it being that long. Great. Yeah. Yeah, and and we were t- talking about Sarah being sort of this uh, sort of porcelain mm-hmm. facade of which you can project upon, and yet in this movie she's taken on a very a brave. Uh, she'd been very brave to take on a role in which she transforms, transforms mm-hmm. herself into a young man, which is a way that we have not seen her before, and she does an incredible job. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation uh, with Sukian Lee and Octavio is dead. One thing I want to touch on, though, and uh, I found it really interesting in my research uh, about you. I read an article where you uh, were talking about having left Definitely Not the Opera after 14 years and feeling a void and feeling this moment of like, man, what do I do now? Because I think that everyone no matter who you are, has had that in their life. And I really like how you dealt with it. So um, when we come back with Sukhian Lee, we're going to talk about Octavio is dead. We're going to talk about what to do after you lose something you love. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. Sukhian Lee is my guest in studio. The film is called Octavio is Dead. Uh, It's playing in Toronto on June 22nd, Cineplex Young and Dundas in Regina, Saskatchewan on August 6th. It'll be on VOD, uh, digital. Check your local listings. Uh, this is a very cool movie. stars Sarah Gadden as a young woman who has to confront a father that she never knew. Uh, he is, at first, well, here's the thing. I didn't really get right away that he was a ghost. I yeah, because he's sure. not floating or he's, yeah, not, he's no. not invisible. He doesn't go through walls. It's just I, like... Us sitting in front of each other. Uh, yeah, I wasn't sure if he was just like a mysterious guy who would fake to, you know, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Sure, like there was some sort of, it's a possibility too. Uh, and then she finds interesting ways to kind of insinuate herself and learn about her of, uh, of uh, family relationships, of sexuality, of, of all sorts of things. There's a lot going There's on here. There's a lot here. going on. Um, but before we get back to that, I really wanted to touch on this and I meant to do it earlier and I've got a head like a sieve, and we didn't get there. I'm so impressed. There's this whole other interview of, like, what's happening between during the commercial break where I'm learning about you, and you're brilliant. (laughs) Richard, you're just amazing. You're making me blush. Uh, You do a lot of stuff. You uh, direct movies, radio, TV, broadcaster, uh, the sleepover on CBC, the podcast that you do. Uh, You've got a a band. There's dance, visual, everything. But definitely not the opera, I think, is something. Other than the the VJ, probably that's the thing that you're best known for. 14 seasons. Other than Short Bus. And Mooning the Camera and Much Music. (laughs) People really remember those moments. Well, I I love Short Bus. We did. Do you remember doing a Q&A for Short Bus. Yeah. And people were making out yeah. like crazy oh, in the it? back. In the, in dude, the back. dude, that was Ryan Gosling and, 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 and Rachel McAdams. Yeah, there was like, who is that couple? Oh, it's Ryan and Rachel. Come on down. <laughs> that was so hilarious. That was hilarious. We were talk- and I remember you saying, oh, the movie worked for somebody back there. People <laughs> yeah, were sort of Yeah, those two shadowy it. figures making out. <laughs> 
and it was Ryan Gosling and Rachel <laughs> McAdams. So when the show oh, was was canceled after yeah. 14 seasons, uh, which is a long run in any media yeah. these days, um, you say, I ate a lot of potato chips. And then you went through some stages of grief. Sure, yeah. And so tell me about that and tell me about how you kind of uh, came out of it. Because you said something that I think a lot of people have said. I'm unemployable in the real world. Right. You know, I'm institutionalized. I've done this thing for a long time. And whether or not it's a media job or whatever job that you've had for a long time, I think people have that moment where they're like, I don't know if I yeah. can do anything else. To reinvent yourself, it's w- whether you're walking away from a, a profound job you know, you go there every day. I, I was working there for over 10 years. And, you know, or whether it's walking away from a marriage or a, any kind of profound situation, it really, really throws your life into a conundrum because, mm-hmm. you know, we re- are we are repetitive creatures. Um, and then when you're when you're detached from that, it's like you really get in touch with a kind of the real chaotic nature of the world. You know, we have all these things that kind of we hang on to for dear life because they kind of give us some sense of rooting. And yet there are moments in life that will occur to everyone where that is that facade is ripped away. And, you know, it it, it is both exhilarating and terrifying. You know, I, I have known intense poverty and I have known difficulty. And so, you know, to walk away from that job knowing, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Just on a purely survival survival mm-hmm. base was like, oh my goodness, you know, it's part of that that previous person, uh, you know, the person, the kid that grew up with, you know, ho- a street kid without the, the support, sort of reared its head again. Yeah, yeah. I, what am I? I don't have dental. <laughs> oh my, what's gonna happen? I gotta find my guy. Yeah. Just like I did back in the day, the guy, the the artist loving dentist who's gonna. That's right. But I mean, things are a lot different. I do. I mean, I'm an adult now, but I, I have these terrifying notions. Yeah. I, you know, I, because I come from a place of, um, you know, I had to be frugal growing up. I I did save some dough. So like walking away from no, just no, knowing you don't have that. Income is like yeah. what? A so there were part, week, part yeah. of it was like you know, Sukian, so you are not the child you were before. You are not in that situation. You are okay, and you must walk into this place of, of the unknown. And you know, I, I part of me, you know, I seem like a, an adventure-seeking person. People go, "You're so bold. You're so ch-, you know, you're so risk-taking." Yeah. Really, I'm a big scaredy cat, <laughs> and I, I'm I'm like hanging on for dear life. Right. So a lot of those bold choices are not necessarily. I'll make a bold choice, but it's only because I'm guileless, and I'll go, "What the hell? What did I do?" Afterwards, I'm, oh my god, I can't believe I did that. So. You know, in this case, it was like, whoa, what am I going to do? Like, I, you know, you, f- I felt like I had, you know, I I am completely and still a big part of my soul is devoted and will always be devoted to public service. And to suddenly be having to walk away from that building. And I felt the same thing for Much Music, too, when I walked away from Much Music. It was very difficult to pass that building next door. Mm-hmm. It was almost like passing my lover's house every yeah, yeah, day yeah. to yeah. go down to the CBC. Yeah. You know, um, so... You know, it's just having, and I still am there, having to abide in this place, in this place of not knowing. Um, I, I really, I mean, like yourself, I, I'm, a, I'm a hustler, and I, I feel like, oh, sheesh, does the hustle never end? Suddenly uh, now, I'm you, like, I'm you, having to hustle like I've not hustled before. You know what I realize as I've gotten older is that the hustle never ends. You think that there's going to be a moment where you're like, this is it. Especially when you're an artist or it a broadcaster. Happened, yep. and as precarious as the, the industry we are, we're in, and everybody is now in a precarious yeah, industry. Yeah. Unions are like diminished. Everyone's having to be a, a multi-hyphenate. Yeah. 
and, and have so, side hustles and all that side stuff. Side hustles, yeah. like I'm just thinking, she's, you know, what? So now, I mean, I'm doing a multitude of things. I'm working on a children's book. I'm working on a theater piece for Canadian stage. You know, I am developing my next movie. Uh, I realize that in some regards, I am unemployable outside of media and art. You know, I wish, darn, darn, why didn't I learn how to do plumbing? I mean, I still there's... Tool the dye maker or something. Absolutely. I mean, still there's time. You know, I can, I mean, you know, hang on to those technical things that you can do because those are, those are really valuable. But still, you know, I, uh, you know, I've lived now and 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 i know life is fleeting life is not so long and i think i've done okay so far and i will continue to follow my passions these are the things that you know i just have to i guess be um you know have faith that that's just like yourself you've been able to go from one thing to another that there will be a demand for that which we have honed you would hope so and what i've tried to do and this isn't an interview about me but what i've tried to do is bring the thing that I do to everything and not go into a situation where I have to conform to the thing that that whoever is hiring me wants. In other words, to be strong enough in the strength of my convictions that people want the thing that I offer and what I hopefully what I offer is unique enough uh, that it will stand out. Well, you're brilliant because you have the strength of your convictions, plus you don't piss your bosses off because sometimes strength of conviction equals like he's a troublemaker yeah i can do but so how did you do that like how do you balance the two so that they they buy into your dream i i i I don't really know and and sometimes i i hope not to overthink all that uh too much only because um i have a very specific idea of what i want and 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 what i want to do and my new television show for instance pop life it's not so new now but my, my my tv show um is very different than other shows that are out there that are like it. It's a talk show, but it's set in a bar. We don't use uh, covering visuals. So if, if uh, someone- Do you drink? Uh, we drink wine. Yeah, oh, we right. do. We drink wine. Do you wine. get drunk? Uh, no. Darn. No. Well, maybe later. Maybe Dr- Drunken media. Very <laughs> candid. Very candid expression. But, but I find, well, here's the thing. I find that the, the bar, as soon as people sort of sit in the bar and we do the interviews, it does tend to relax them a little bit somehow. And we tend to get these really great interviews from people. Uh, but I've been very careful about um, the people that have been on the show. I've been very careful about bringing in uh, artists and, and people that, that I want to talk to and, and pulling out their stories. And I think that's what what does it? And I was telling you off air, the first advice that I ever got in this business was people want to hear about people. And, and I, it has stuck with me all the way along. And pop life is the distillation of that. It is not a promotional show. We don't talk about your new record or your new movie or whatever it is. We talk about you. I can't believe you've you sold that to like a major media company. Huzzah to you. You know, I, <laughs> I'm going to, you just shared a little bit of uh, wisdom. Uh, I'm going to share one piece. I was walking through the city yesterday and ran into Clement Virgo, oh, yeah. the wonderful yeah, Canadian love filmmaker, yeah. Love Come Down, Book of Negroes, et cetera, et cetera. We're talking about all kinds of career stuff. He's a guy who's been in the business as a filmmaker, as a TV maker for a long time. Mm-hmm. We're talking about that sort of like, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified, this cusp of sharing Octavio is dead with the world. You put your blood, sweat, and tears into a, a piece of art. And and it's going to get brutalized. You know, yeah. it can get. It's very vulnerable to, to share that with uh, with an audience and and have that exposed your baby exposed to all sorts of uh, perspectives. And Clement was like, you know what, again, um, as an artist, you have to be vulnerable. And the only thing that you can expect through being an artist and being vulnerable is that you're going to get your ass kicked. 
Yeah. He's like, just, that's just, that's the only thing you can, and be cool with that because this is, this is the undertaking you have taken. Yeah. And I think we've only got about a minute left, but I would say, I I think that as you get older, you can become more comfortable uh, with that idea. Uh, the idea that, that you're going to get your butt kicked. Yeah, I do. I think <laughs> yeah. you get more comfortable with. It. I certainly have been, and I or think you don't maybe care as much. It's like, okay, try, bring yeah, it on. I yeah. don't give two hoots. But as long as you're making the stuff that you want to make, you know, yeah. Octavio is dead. Is the movie you wanted to make? It is indeed. And so, whatever butt kicking you take as a result of that, uh, you can say, look, that's I, what came out of me. That's what came out of me. This is the movie I wanted to make. Yes, so true. Uh, you'll be able to see Octavio is Dead in Toronto on June 22nd, Cineplex Young and Dundas in Regina, Saskatchewan. Uh, and also check your local listings across the country because it will be rolling out. Plus, uh, VOD and digital, that's iTunes, that's... Uh, uh, to the Movie Network and CBC. Oh, great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, on August 6th, 2018, this year. That's my... Uh, you know more. I can't believe it. You know more about this than I do. Well, August 6th is my brother's birthday. So it's a big day for both Octavio is dead and my family. Yay. Sucky and Lee, thanks so much for coming Wonderful in. Wonderful to see you. Thanks, Richard. Uh, thanks to you for listening, and thanks to Mike Catherwood on the board.